God's rescue comes in response to your repentance, but if you're going to seek God's rescue through repentance, you're going to have to recognize that you need that rescue, a rescue from God's judgment. Welcome, everyone, to the Bread of Life. I'm Joe Van Hoogen. I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and I'm the executive director of the international outreach and disciple-making ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. These two ministries are the sponsors of this program, and to learn more about either, just go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're considering the last verses of 2 Kings chapter 6 and the first couple verses of 2 Kings chapter 7. A famine has hit Israel, and it is made worse by a Syrian siege. These are not unfortunate accidents of nature or geopolitical machinations. They are something far more. They are judgments from God. When you make your trials just accidents in your lives, you rule out that God may be bringing you into corrective judgment and a judgment he can bring you out of when you call out to him. God is a deliverer. God desires to draw those he loves out of deep waters of adversity and trial. And God is also a God of justice. And God will not wink at our wickedness or our rebellion. The seeds of a rebellion and resistance against him produce fruits of judgment upon our lives. God can rescue us from that judgment. And God would rescue us from that judgment if we'll recognize what he's doing and what we're receiving and if we will repent and turn to him for mercy and rescue. But if we don't repent and we don't turn to him, the judgments will continue to fall and they'll increase with greater and greater judgment until we're either awakened to repent and turn to him or he hands us over to his final and irrevocable judgment at the end. There are judgments, by the way, you can turn back from. There's suffering in your life and difficulty and challenges that you bring on yourself because of your own stubborn resistance to God's will and God's purpose. And when it begins to get hot enough for you and you recognize it, you can, God, I'm getting what I deserve here. God, forgive me and God, be merciful to me. And God, I draw back into you and your forgiveness and, and you can turn back from them. But there also is, if you continue to resist them, a judgment that you cannot be turned back from. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27 puts it this way. For if we sin willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversary. If you won't be awakened by the judgments of God in your life and repent and turn to his provision for your sins and his mercy, you make yourself his settled adversary, and there will be left for your future nothing but ongoing fiery judgment. If we do not recognize God's judgments against us and turn back from our sins and back to him, then we're only left to languish under those judgments and to face greater and greater judgments in the future. The lesson hasn't been learned. History is just going to repeat itself with greater and greater intensity until it culminates in a final judgment. That's what the Bible teaches us. Here's the application here real quickly. I'll give you the application before I give you the sermon this morning. Right? And the application is this. You've got to recognize God's judgments against your sin. You've got to recognize when you're, you're getting what's coming. Second, you've got to repent and turn from your sin and you've got to turn back to God for mercy. And then God can deliver you. So here's three points in our sermon this morning. Recognizing judgment. Second is realizing repentance. 
And third is receiving deliverance. Those three things, recognizing judgment, realizing repentance, receiving deliverance. Let's look at the first one, recognizing judgment. Joram is a wicked king, or Jehoram is how he's read at different times as well. He's a wicked king. He's an idolater in Israel. The people of Israel have been raised up by God to be individuals who will worship him and will call and lead the other nations in worshiping the one true God. But instead, they've wandered away from their calling and they've given themselves over to idolatry. And this horrific famine that has struck them is God's judgment upon these actions that they've taken. Yet, Jehoram's attitude in the middle of this judgment against them is that this situation is a situation where God is either powerless or unwilling to deliver them. In other words, it's God's fault. So when people come and ask him, when these women cry out to Jehoram for help, Jehoram's answer is, if the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I can't help you either. In other words, don't look at me. This is God's fault. I'm not responsible for what's taking place. That's what Jehoram is saying in answer to the women who cry out for help. Now, If Joram had only been willing to learn from history, he could recall his own father's history in which Ahab and the people of Israel were under a famine because of their idolatry and God judged them until they repented and they re-embraced God as the Lord God who they would worship. He could remember those things and see that it had been brought to them in this way. Actually, I don't think that, in this case, Elisha's input into Jehoram's life and the counsel they gave him was difficult to come by. And it wasn't difficult for Elisha to recognize it was taking place. In fact, the most part, the role, and I've said this before, the role of a prophet is a fairly simple role. The prophet only has to know God's word. He only has to add up the math of God's word and see what the outcome is. He only has to know what God's commands are and then what God says will be the outcome in people's lives if they resist or they refuse to yield to God's command. He only has to understand what God has declared to be his will for his people and then look and see what God says he will do as the consequence to the people if they will not obey his will. He also can prophesy, by the way, good things over the people. All he has to do is look at those same commands and that same expression of God's will and see what God promised to those who will yield to God and submit themselves to God and surrender to Him. And they'll see then and they'll be able to prophesy the good things and the blessings that God would bring to them and deliver to them. And if you go and you read the Old Testament, you'll find that the prophets Jeremiah and the prophets Ezekiel later to the nation of Judah will prophesy that there will be a famine that will come upon the Jews that will be so profound and so great in its judgment that they will cannibalize their own children. Both of the prophets prophesied it. You can find it and you might write it down. It's Lamentations, that's Jeremiah's prophecy. Lamentations chapter 4 verse 10. Or you can look Ezekiel's words, Ezekiel chapter 5 verse 10. Now these come a little later than the time that we're at right here. But these prophets are only adding up the math of what God has decreed will take place. And to find that, you can go back to the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, and you can look at the book of Leviticus. And there in the book of Leviticus, God gives to the nation of Israel and to the Jews his laws and his commands. And then at the end of it, he gives to them certain warnings if they move out from those laws and those commands to worship and follow him alone. And Leviticus chapter 26, Leviticus chapter 26, I want to read to you verses 27 through 30. This is what Moses writes. And after all this, if you do not obey me, speaking for the Lord, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars, and I will cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. 
Go on to Deuteronomy. I won't read the next passage for you, but I'm going to give it to you so you can look at it later. It's Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 52 through 57. And I'll not read it to you, but it is an explicit declaration of the horrible, dehumanizing judgment of famine that will come upon Israel that's expressing itself at this moment as we read this story with Jehoram and Elisha's day that will fall upon them if they turn into idolatry and persist in it. But here's the point. Repentance requires taking responsibility for your sinful actions. And that will mean that you must not blame God for your troubles, but instead recognize that a sovereign and just God acts in your troubles to bring you under his correcting judgments. That when you're experiencing difficulty and hard things in your life and they persist and they continue, that it's right for you to look to see if you're causing them yourself by your resistance to God's will and God's purposes. Now to do that, it's going to require something of you. You're going to need to know God's word you must know his commands and you must also know the consequences of disobeying those commands so that you can interpret your experiences accordingly. You can go to the New Testament to do that because the New Testament is full of God's commands. And with those commands oftentimes are these wonderful promises for peace and joy and satisfaction and contentment and blessing. And when you read those, you're reading, in a sense, the warning on the opposite side of it. If you don't obey God and follow God, then in contrast, what you get is not peace, not joy, not satisfaction, not blessing. But oftentimes, God is quite explicit about those things as well, even in the New Testament. That's not just in the Old Testament. You might remember before the people of Israel went into the promised land that God took the people of Israel and he separated them on two different hills. And on one hill, there were the blessings they were to receive if they obeyed God, and the people read out the blessings. And on the other hill that they stood across, and there was a valley between, that people were to read out the curses that would come upon them if they didn't follow God's blessing. It's always that way because life is governed by moral laws. And if you refuse the moral laws of God, well, then you suffer the consequences of refusing those moral laws. And it doesn't suspend or end when you enter into the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, Paul writes, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this also he will reap. For the one who sows his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I'm going to read you a couple other passages. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, along the same line. Here we see an example of what you reap if you don't follow God's will and obey Him. There it says, be angry and do not sin. It's right, it's possible for you to be angry or upset with things that are not right in the world, but it says don't sin in that anger. Here's how it tells us not to sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. What happens when you let the sun go down on your anger and you nurture your bitterness and your anger and your resentment is you give ground for the devil to take hold of your life and wreak his destruction in your life. Take your Bibles and turn to James. James chapter 3. Verses 13. And I'm going to read to you 4 verse 3. James chapter 3 verse 13 through 4 verse 3. Here's what James writes. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and rely against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. 
For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. If you are living in a state of ongoing strife and confusion, it's the fruit of your own self-seeking existence. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, for the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's a settledness in your life. There's a peace in your life when you submit and you obey the will of God. He writes now, Where do wars and fights come from among us? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. James is describing the turmoil of those who sow selfishness and self-seeking into their lives. Their lives become a war zone of grievances and complaint and envy and anger and strife that not only comes their life, but it breaks out in the society around them. What's happening in our world today? What we're supposed to say is not, boy, these are strange times. Boy, this is a weird time to be living in. What we're supposed to be able to discern from this is We're under God's judgment. Once we recognize that we're under judgment, we can intercede as we ought. Thanks for joining us for this broadcast of the Bread of Life. For a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.